Hey everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, Liquidware, and Policy Pack Software. If you happen to be at VMworld Europe this week, or E2EVC, or indeed Microsoft Ignite, seek those guys out and check out the products. And actually, I'll be doing demos, technical demos of Policy Pack at E2EVC. So if you're going to that event in Lisbon, you can swing by on Saturday afternoon to check out those demos for yourself. And if you appreciate the podcast each week, you have them to thank. It's a pretty loaded show this week, so let's get started with some news. So obviously with all the events that are going on this week, there's a lot of announcements, but I'm going to cover some of the other news first including that ZDNet has reported on a new collaborative effort between Facebook, Mozilla, and Cloudflare called TLS Delegated Credentials, which is right now undergoing standardization at the Internet Engineering Task Force. The report states, the new standard will work as an extension to TLS, a cryptographic protocol that underpins the more widely known HTTPS protocol, which most listeners probably already knew. And it states that the TLS Delegated Credentials extension was specifically developed for large website setups such as Facebook or for websites using content delivery networks or CDNs such as Cloudflare. The TLS Delegate Credentials extension allows site owners to create short-lived TLS private keys that they could deploy to multiple server setups instead of the real TLS private key which is less secure. This lowers the risk of someone impersonating their services, and if an attacker does manage to hack a server, the stolen private key won't work for more than a few days, rather than weeks, months, or even years as it does now. So that's pretty cool. Rather than putting the same key out on all servers, hosting your services globally, you can have a unique private key on each. So it lowers the surface level for attack, which is a good thing. This week, Google published an update to Chrome to address a zero-day vulnerability that is currently being exploited out in the wild. The vulnerability is CVE-2019-13720. The researchers are calling these attacks Operation Wizard Opium. So far... They've been unable to establish a definitive link with any known threat actors. From the description, it appears the bug is exploited when allocating free memory along with other techniques that eventually give the attackers an arbitrary read-write primitive. This is used to craft a special object that could be used with a couple of specific functions together to perform code execution of malicious payload. Chrome version 78.0.3904.87 has been released to address this bug, so get it now. On an update from a story on last week's episode of the podcast, remember how I talked about the Microsoft Power Platform introducing a self-service feature that would allow users to purchase and install their own extensions into the tools? For example, a Power BI user could use whatever extensions he or she wants. This was met with a lot of concern from admins, and it looks like sense has prevailed now. 
On a Microsoft FAQ, they've stated that on November 19th, they will provide IT admins a way to turn off this self-service purchasing on a per-product basis via PowerShell. And to provide more time to prepare for this change, they're updating the launch for self-service purchase capabilities for, for Power Platform products to start with Power BI on January 14th for all commercial cloud customers. So they're pushing the introduction date or launch date of the feature out a little bit too. Citrix Machine Creation Services, or MCS as it might be better known, is now supported on Google Cloud Platform. And, it's been a while coming, AppV functionality is now available in Citrix Cloud. You can add AppV packages to the delivery controller in your Citrix Cloud configuration in either single or dual admin mode. The Virtual Apps and Desktop Service AppV Package Discovery Module that's available in Citrix Downloads allows you to import AppV packages and register Microsoft AppV servers. The apps they contain are then available to your users. This PowerShell module allows you to register Microsoft AppV management and publishing servers using DNS URLs, avoiding the need for servers behind load balancing mechanisms to be registered using their actual machine URL. News of a blue keep worm has been doing the rounds among security experts on Twitter this week. It feels like every couple of weeks something else comes out about blue keep. If you haven't patched for it yet, what are you doing? Cop on, do it now. Silicon Republic have reported that some NordVPN users' credentials have been circulating on online forums. Dan Gooden of Ars Technica reported that he had received a list of around 753 credentials on October 31st, most of which were still in use by NordVPN customers at the time of their reporting. Have I Been Pooned, meanwhile, reported 10 other lists of this nature. It was also reported that, quote, the credentials that were used to get access to NordVPN accounts were stolen from previous leaks and breaches and hacks that have nothing to do with NordVPN, end quote. So distancing themselves a little bit and suggesting that this is a case of credential stuffing, which is pretty common and I guess not all that surprising, but concerning nonetheless. If you're a NordVPN customer and you haven't changed your password yet, <laughs> probably time to do that. Silicon Republic also reported this week on the acquisition of Observit by Proofpoint for $225 million. Proofpoint plans to expand its data loss prevention capabilities by combining Observit's endpoint agent technology and data risk analytics with Proofpoint's threat detection and intelligence offerings. If you've never seen what Observit's products can do, you should check it out. It's one part cool and another large part creepy. The Register had a really interesting article this week. Developers of apps built with the cross-platform Electron framework have said that Apple has started rejecting their applications during its Mac App Store review process and has threatened cancellation of Apple developer accounts for repeated rule violations. Apple seems to now be rejecting these apps for private API usage but never did in the past, so they seem to be taking a bit of a hardline approach all of a sudden. It also seems just from following the words of people in the community, Electron isn't all that well liked within IT circles. So this is an interesting development on that too. 
So at this point, I have to say the majority of the rest of the news on this episode is going to be around Microsoft announcements made during and in the lead up to their Ignite conference that took place in Orlando this week. But I will also mention a few announcements from VMworld Europe in Barcelona too, so stay put for that. But to start with a small little thing, Microsoft has unveiled their new modern Chromium-based Edge browser's new logo, and it's pretty far removed from the old IE logo. You may have noticed Edge that shipped Windows 10 (coughs) is an E logo, so there's some similarities with IE. Granted, it's a more flat, minimalist, modern E than some of the more recent Internet Explorer releases, but an E nonetheless. The new logo is kind of in the shape of an E, but it is formed with blue and green waves. It's pretty slick. And more importantly, the release date has been announced. This new modern Edge is going generally available on January 15th, which as Aaron Parker pointed out, means it will be released just as Windows 7 goes end of life, which I'm sure can't be a coincidence. I was fortunate enough not to be in a meeting when the keynote started, not to watch all of it. Satya and crew did an excellent job, but personally, I would have liked a little more focus on some of the more day-to-day practical enterprise solutions, rather than so much of the edge computing, data analytics, and augmented reality stuff. It was cool and entertaining and all, but it's just not my day-to-day, so it had limited value to me. In fact, other than the St. Luke's case study and the few things mentioned about Microsoft Teams and Endpoint Manager during the keynote, which those mentions were pretty brief, I don't think there was anything worth reporting on really. I did like some of the stats that were thrown out, like how it takes about 25 minutes to return to the original task after being interrupted. That is something I really hate when working in a busy office. When I have walk-ups to my desk, I'm probably pretty rude because I'm usually drawn back to my screen, like continuously peering over at my screen, trying to keep focus on what it is I'm doing so I don't lose my place while someone's talking to me. So I'm kind of only half paying attention. And obviously a challenge when actually working from home in a house, if other people are home and hey, the baby's crying, hey, the dog is crying. That's a break in focus. And I guess they're saying that it takes about 25 minutes to regain your focus and get back to that original work. Now, the use of those stats were selling some of their automation features. And on that topic, there was a demo of a pretty cool new tool called Power Automate that could be used to automate workflows within all kinds of apps, including legacy Win32 apps that don't have public APIs. In the demo, they made it look really simple too. There was a record option that allowed you to then just do something like click on a name text field, enter data, click email text field, enter data, and click a submit button, and that could then be an automated workflow. This is built on top of the old Flow product and is available, at least for now, still at flow.microsoft.com. I mentioned data analytics being a part of the keynote, and it was in a pretty big way. They unveiled Azure Synapse Analytics with a lot of comparisons with Google's analytics, trying to highlight how much quicker Microsoft's solution is. They said they pretty much re-architected the whole lot to achieve the performance. And what kind of performance, you ask? Well, 9 seconds to query petabytes of data versus 11 minutes doing the same query with Google. They did show some examples with smaller sample data too to show 
what's most likely a more common scenario for people. And the performance is very impressive. I probably could have done without the comparisons to a competitor though. I don't really like that form of marketing, but I'm sure it works for some people. Possibly the biggest Azure announcement, and boy, there was a lot of them, was Azure Arc, which promises to offer Azure services and management to customers on other clouds or infrastructure, including those offered by Amazon and Google. Now there's a little bit of a qualifier. As long as there is a Kubernetes cluster, you'll be able to deploy applications to them and manage them using Azure Portal. And honestly, even having seen it in the keynote and read about Azure Arc afterwards, I'm still a little bit confused about everything and the interoperability between different clouds or infrastructure. So they talked about Azure SQL databases, which is cool and all because customers will be less locked into Azure for running those workloads now. And they also talked about Azure Resource Manager, Azure Cloud Shell, Azure Portal, APIs, and Microsoft Azure Policy being used on other platforms. But what other components that maybe today are Azure only can be deployed on AWS or GCP? Still a little unclear. I guess I don't spend my day-to-day -day working within Azure. I just run some things like WVD. I run Citrix Cloud, Office 365, and a few different components in there, mostly SaaS stuff. So the vision for this Azure Arc and how it could be used with, say, GCP or AWS, maybe someone else more versed in this stuff would know better. Microsoft Teams will now support Linux. It will also allow you to open multiple windows and users will finally be able to create their own private channels, which is a pet peeve I have had with it in the past when compared to using Slack. They also showed that there will be more integration with other Office 365 products and Teams to allow you to quickly share content from, say, Outlook to your team with a couple of clicks. There is a new Tasks feature which looks a little like a mini-embedded version of the much-liked Microsoft To-Do app. There's a pretty cool transparency effect on cameras now in Teams as well, and an ability to detect whiteboards and set focus on the whiteboard. So if you've got a camera pointed to a whiteboard, it's able to lock in on the whiteboard and then kind of gray over or make other objects that might stand in front of the whiteboard like people transparent so it keeps that focus on the whiteboard for everyone viewing. You'll have to check out the video demo to understand what I'm talking about for that one. There's also a pop-out for chat now, which is much needed, and power platform integration, plus much more. During the keynote, there was a brief demo of something called Project Cortex. In the demo, they showed that their products like Office 365 could reference a data set specific to your organization, and through machine learning, learn things common just to you. For example, commonly used internal naming and abbreviations, which can then be highlighted in text with a little callout available that shows past references and other resources pertaining to that abbreviation. The way relevant documents were shown in the demo, it made me think it was a little like searching in SharePoint, but maybe less sucky. So maybe more like searching in Teams, but I think SharePoint is probably the backbone to a lot of this, plus also Teams itself. Touched on, but not really dived into too much, is the extension of SCCM and Intune into Endpoint Manager, with a lot of changes in the product, including a powerful but simple feature 
The ability to see all managed devices shown in one place, no matter what or where you are managing them from, through the Cloud Microsoft Endpoint Management Admin Center. They've also introduced a productivity rating provided by analytics within the tool to monitor your end user experience. It will simplify administration with updates to Microsoft 365 Admin Center and Office 365 groups. And it even promises to simplify meeting room management with a managed meeting rooms service. A big change is that Intune is now available to all Config Manager customers to co-manage your Windows devices. I'd imagine for Endpoint Manager to appeal to all customers, they would need all customers to have access to both Intune and SCCM, not just SCCM, so that makes sense. If you would like to manage non-Windows devices through this new Microsoft Endpoint Manager, you will need to purchase either an Intune license, an Enterprise Mobility and Security license, or a Microsoft 365 E3 license or higher. So I guess the old word of an SCCM console moving to the cloud or moving to a web UI is finally here in the form of Endpoint Manager, which is going to encompass your SCCM and your Intune and hopefully provide more value. Not from the keynote itself, but Windows Virtual Desktop had many significant announcements, including that it's now generally available in all Azure regions. New regions for the management pane are also getting added all the time, with Japan getting enrolled this week and more to follow shortly. Freak Beerson also shared that Windows Virtual Desktop extends to Linux, with IGEL CEO at the event talking about IGEL, or EGEL, sorry, I always get that wrong now, uh, talking about Eagle Thin Client support for WVD. Coming soon is Azure Files with native Active Directory support, which is, which is pretty significant, as it allows a full platform-as-a-service-based storage solution for MSIX AppAttach and FSLogix profile containers, which I know Jason Samuel tweeted about uh, trying it out for himself. But by far the most significant announcement in my opinion is Windows Virtual Desktop on Azure Stack Hub, meaning the management components like the broker and gateway, for example, can be hosted in Azure, while the host pools running your session hosts can run on Azure Stack Hub in your on-premises data center. The announcement gave me flashbacks to a conversation I had with Jerry and Gibson on Twitter 11 months ago about the possibility they'll support Windows 10 EVD, which is the multi-user Windows 10 on Azure Stack, which looks like is the case based off of a tweet from Scott Manchester, the RDS program manager or WVD program manager. So it looks like we're all going to Azure Stack Hub, lads. It, it is pretty exciting. I hope to see how I can like bolt on, um, say, Citrix components or VMware components on top of Azure Stack to get that multi-user Windows 10 and some of the other benefits of WVD in an on-premises data center scenario. Also interesting was the announcement that WVD is included in the AppAssure program, but I'm not entirely sure what this means. AppAssure, of course, is Microsoft's commitment to assisting customers to remediate applications with compatibility issues while migrating to Windows 10. With WVD and the option of a multi-user Windows 10, I wonder if the remediation assistance will include single-user apps to run on multi-user sessions. 
that could be pretty interesting. I know it's something that you can achieve already with things like shims, but it'd be interesting to see if Microsoft are willing to step up for those scenarios too. For Azure Active Directory MFA with, with the Microsoft Authenticator app, you will now it will now be free for all users. There's a refreshed Azure AD identity protection with new detections and capabilities now generally available to help detect suspicious behavior and user anomalies to stamp out threats early. There's also the ability to provide risk-based conditional access for users. A small announcement that I noticed via Twitter is that there's also a simple My Sign-Ins page for tracking your sign-in activity, which is another qu nice quick security win. Plus, there is more announced. Sticking a little bit in the security space, ATP, or Advanced Threat Protection, will support Linux servers in future, and as previously reported on this podcast, will also support macOS, which is already in preview. They're introducing new connectors in Azure Sentinel to help security analysts collect data from a variety of sources, including Zscaler, Barracuda, and Citrix. Application Guard for Office provides hardware-level and container-based protection against potentially malicious Word, Excel, and PowerPoint files, and it will utilize Microsoft Defender ATP to establish whether a document is either malicious or trusted. So, if you're a fan of Application Guard today in Windows 10, it looks like that's going to be extended for Office 2, or more specifically. Azure Firewall Manager, which I talked about in a previous episode of the podcast, is now in public preview. And customers can manage multiple firewall instances from a single pane of glass with the firewall manager. They have also added a machine learning capability to help protect sensitive data in Office 365. For Azure Security Center, they announced new capabilities to find misconfigurations and threats for containers and SQL in Infrastructure as a Service while providing rich vulnerability assessment for virtual machines. So like I said, there's a lot of announcements. Um, a lot of the more interesting tidbits were mentioned in side sessions, like the fact that OneNote's Win32 app that is supposed to be dead in the ground pushing up daisies has been revived with active deployment resuming on it. So hooray! Also, there's now a dark mode that the kids love so much. There is now a per-machine install of the OneDrive Sync client, which is pretty much crucial in those non-persistent multi-user environments, so that's much needed. Small little announcement, not worthy of the keynote, but important nonetheless. Ginny Kahi shared info on MSIX Core, which is under development right now. It allows MSIX packages to run on what are currently unsupported versions of Windows for MSIX. It allows the package to install more or less like an MSI does. For those keeping score at home, I had previously thought almost two years ago that CloudHouse was going to be providing this capability in a partnership with Microsoft. The topic of installing MSIX on Windows 7 machines pretty much tapered off until now, so this is an interesting development. Genie also shared a slide showing that support for Windows services and MSIX packages is coming soon which is very important for getting the product to an enterprise-ready state. There was a pretty cool demo of a modernized performance monitor available in Windows Admin Center, which is claimed as the most significant re-imaging of Perfmon in 25 years. I have to admit, it does look pretty slick. 
Microsoft have also released a new Office app on iOS and Android. It's a single app that combines the core Office suite. It looks like a more streamlined workflow within a single app than across multiple apps with more integration and associations between the apps without shifting from one app to another, which I guess is going to be a lot more efficient on a phone. Winbuzzer.com reports that Cortana can now read email and Outlook on iOS, which is, to reuse a term that I used earlier, one part cool and another part pretty unnerving. And hey, if it's your preference, you can also now give Cortana, that bot who's reading your personal emails, a male voice. PowerShell support on Azure Functions is now available. If event-based automation is your thing, which it is my thing on-prem today with ControlUp, you can use PowerShell to start making your tech world a better place. And on the topic of PowerShell and scripting, it was interesting that during the keynote, Satya showed a little brief demo of visual code and the web editor that I mentioned a few weeks ago on the podcast. If you'd like to read all, and I do mean all of the announcements, be they major or minor from Ignite, Microsoft actually released a book, yes, a feckin' book that is 87 pages long that contains the events, various announcements, though I will say I actually noticed a couple of announcements that I just discovered through Twitter discussions that I could not find in the book, so I don't think it even has all of the announcements, even at 87 pages. I'll share a link for that with this episode, which is episode 97 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. I'll also share a link to a pretty helpful Microsoft 365 roadmap site that shows active development and future features and tools. Other vendors had their own announcements this week around Ignite, such as Eagle Technologies, who announced support for WVD. CloudJumper have been very active on social media while attending the conference. And Cameo, who I talked about a few weeks ago, also had an announcement of their own. They stated organizations utilizing Microsoft Azure can now experience the full benefits of their virtual application delivery platform within their own instance of Azure. The headline for the article states that Microsoft Azure customers can now deliver any Windows application to any device using Cameo. If you're not familiar with Cameo, it enables you to run your applications embedded within the browser. And they've got some pretty powerful Security features, like their recently announced RD port shield, as well as a very simplified setup, even for hybrid environments. So, pretty cool. Tim Mangum was also at Ignite this week, and he shared a public survey to help gather some key information and opinions on MSIX. If you've tried MSIX and wouldn't mind filling in a short survey, please do so. I'll share it with this episode. And on to VMworld Europe, I'll try to keep this short. And luckily, there aren't as many big announcements at this event. Obviously, there was VMworld in the U.S. that had a lot of announcements, so this one had fewer announcements. So I hope you're still with me out there. But VMworld Europe was held in Barcelona this week. There were several announcements, including a new feature that will allow new hires to securely access useful resources before their first day on the job, such as the company directory, intranet, and benefits information through VMware Workspace ONE. 
And that's pretty interesting to me because I worked for two companies who did something similar but through a lot of heavy lifting and customization. ZDNet reports VMware also announced integrations between the Workspace ONE Intelligent Hub and HID Global, a company that makes secure identity products. The Intelligent Hub will offer a passport feature to let employees use the app on their personal or company-owned device to gain entry into buildings. The feature will instantly verify an employee's identity and access allowances. Users will also be able to see how their devices are being managed through a new privacy guard feature in the Intelligence Hub. Multi-factor authentication is now built directly into Workspace ONE Intelligent Hub app and Workspace ONE Access. VMware Workspace Security will bundle Workspace ONE Intelligence with Carbon Black Cloud Endpoint Advanced as an add-on service for Workspace ONE Advanced Edition. Horizon Monitoring Service that I talked about on our previous episode is now generally available. VMware's UEM product brings persistent desktop support. The VMware Horizon Client version 5.2.1 has been released and now supports macOS Catalina. VROPS is now available as a SaaS application. And there was much more. I caught some of the highlights from the VMworld Europe keynote. And to me, it seemed like they were expanding on some of the previous announcements from the previous VMworld. So they're giving a little more flesh to how they're going to be using Carbon Black and integrating some of the acquisitions and gave more information on products like their cloud health dashboards and more stuff like that. There's actually some similarities with the theme of their keynote and Satya's keynote at Ignite. So they talked a lot about cloud products, analytics, and even augmented reality, which was something that is maybe a little less enterprise. So it was surprising to see both Microsoft and VMware gave it some time in the keynote. I guess it is kind of a cool, entertaining thing. And it's a cutting edge technology that's exciting even to enterprise techies because we're all tech enthusiasts at the end of the day. And for the week that's in it, there was also some love from from VMware for Microsoft announcing enhancements for improving Teams and Horizon. Horizon Cloud on Microsoft Azure now includes high availability for Pod Manager, support for custom Azure resource tags for desktops and farm assignments, enhanced logging and auditing capabilities in the Horizon Cloud Admin Console, and enhanced alerting during pod upgrades. Microsoft security baselines for Windows 10 available as turnkey templates within Workspace ONE, including the ability to audit these baselines to protect against policy drift, which I don't think is really new, but they're putting it out there as a show of close bond with Microsoft now. Uh, Horizon Cloud on Azure supporting WVD to drive advanced collaboration across the workspace. Conditional access for Microsoft 365 apps and services via Workspace ONE and integration with the newly announced Microsoft Endpoint Manager and Azure Active Directory Premium across bring-your-own-device use cases. There is also an announcement of intent to work together to build Workspace ONE to add value on top of the newly announced Endpoint Manager via what they're calling VMware Workspace ONE for Microsoft Endpoint Manager. 
So these conferences are still ongoing, but typically the big announcements are made the first couple of days. And in the case of Ignite, they actually released all of the announcements in one place. And I've just covered some of the highlights. More may come out in some of the side sessions over the next couple of days. So check back next week. And if there's any other highlights I left out, I'll discuss them next week. And now, the weekly webinar. Recast Tools held a webinar a couple of weeks ago that I didn't mention on the podcast, but I figure it's worth mentioning now. It covers the release of their right-click tools refresher and 4.0 enterprise edition it's a pretty comprehensive webinar it runs about 50 minutes long and it's mostly demo driven so if you're an SCCM head and you work in config manager all day long you should definitely check this out they've got some really cool features and of course, I'll share a link with this episode, which is again, episode 97 on 5 bytespodcastcom under reference links, or you'll find it in the description field of your podcast platform of choice for this episode. And now scripts, tricks, and tips. So this was quite a heavy episode of the podcast this week, so I'm going to keep it light here. There's a site that was brought to my attention by my buddy Ruben, wallpaperhub.app with a bunch of Windows wallpapers freely available for download. And these are mostly high-quality wallpapers, so well worth a look if you're into that sort of thing. And the infamous Swift on Security on Twitter shared a list of favorite free things that includes apps like Notepad++, Editpad, Winderstat, Patch My PC Home Updater, ShutUp10, CleanMGR.exe, PSR.exe, Glasswire, all sys internals tools, all Nearsoft tools, ADW Cleaner, and Handbrake. You don't see too many people mention Problem Step Recorder, so that was a pretty interesting one. So this, I think this episode's going to end up as the longest episode that I've ever recorded, just with all those announcements. So if you manage to stick with it, kudos to you. I'll catch you next week.